Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the BU with Declan Edwards podcast. Now, incredibly excited for this week's episode because for the first time ever on this podcast, we're going to get a little controversial. So buckle up, strap in, because if you like your podcast with a side of controversy, you are in the right place. That's because this week, I'm going to be focusing on and deep diving into why the emotional well-being industry in Australia is broken and needs fixing. We're going to be looking at the two main sides of that industry, which are the coaching and the traditional psychology industry in Australia, looking at the pros and cons of each one, and we're going to be putting forward the argument that there needs to be a new approach to helping people with their emotional well-being. This is a topic I'm incredibly, incredibly passionate about, and I want to preface this by saying that what I'm about to discuss in this podcast aren't just my opinions. They're based on research. They're based on the opinions and the study and research of experts and professionals in their field, including James Davies, who is a psychotherapist in the UK, who wrote an amazing book called Cracked, including Dr. Alan Francis. I'll be talking you through some of his suggestions on how we can improve the industry as a whole. Uh, He is actually a leading psychiatrist in the US who was part of the board of directors who created the DSM-4 and then left when they were doing the DSM-5 because he disagreed with a lot of what they were implementing and saw that it was going to end up causing more harm than good. So this isn't just my opinion. It's what I've seen firsthand by working with clients in this industry. It's what I've experienced firsthand. And it's also based on the research from experts and professionals. So with that said... Let's jump into it because we've got a lot to cover on this episode and it's going to be a bumpy, bumpy ride. So strap on in. If you're someone who's interested in emotional well-being, in psychology, in the state of the industry in Australia, but also in finding the best fit for yourself moving forward to work on your emotional well-being, then this is the podcast episode for you. So let's do it. Let's get rolling. So I thought I'd start this episode by discussing what I mean when I say the emotional well-being industry in Australia. So the emotional well-being industry encompasses everything to do with mental health and overall well-being uh, for the Australian population and for people as a whole. So this is things like counselling, psychology, various forms of therapy, coaching, uh, meditation. There's all these different fields all playing into the overall industry of emotional well-being. And that's part and parcel of the problem itself where these different fields that are all working for the same goal of helping people aren't collaborating as much as would be beneficial. They're all trying to say, we've got the right answer, everyone else is wrong, um, and we've got the one-size-fits-all golden bullet approach to helping people with their overall emotional well-being. And that just can't be the case. I'm a massive believer that there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach to emotional well-being uh, or to physical well-being for that matter. There simply can't be a one-size-fits-all approach and there's 7 billion people on the planet. What I believe in is people being empowered and educated enough to make the choice for themselves about what field or what combination of fields they most resonate with and that help them the most with their overall well-being. But when it comes to the industry, there does seem to be two big players or big camps taking hold. Uh, On one side, we've got traditional psychology and psychiatry. Uh, On the other side, we have the coaching industry. Now, 
both of these industries, both of these fields have their strengths and weaknesses. And throughout this episode, I'm going to dive into each one separately and talk about you know, what I agree with in their, in their field and in their approach and what I personally disagree with based on my study and on the research and what I've seen with people. But as I said, the, the goal, what I believe in the most is creating this holistic, collaborative approach to well-being. I think that's something that every single field within the industry is missing. Um, you know, it's that idea that, as I said before, we've got the one size fits all, we've got the golden bullet, we've got your answers, you don't need to go to anywhere else. And I think that's rubbish. I think the more we start treating ourselves and other people like three-dimensional human beings, uh, the better results we're going to see in people's overall emotional well-being, physical well-being, total well-being, whatever you want to call it, their, their fulfillment in life and their overall health and well-being. So with that said, let's look at some of the biggest players in this industry. As I said, the two main ones being traditional psychology and psychiatry and the other one being the coaching industry. We'll actually start by looking at the coaching industry because it's what, obviously, at BU Coaching, we more align ourselves with. However, what I hope you'll find out from this podcast and what you'll see very clearly is that we are neither traditional psychology nor coaching. We've developed a very unique approach that's a lot more holistic and a lot more proactive and sort of calls on the strengths of each industry rather than boxing ourselves in or labeling ourselves as one or the other. But then with that said, let's jump into looking at the coaching industry in Australia and why, where they're missing the mark, basically, what they're doing well, what they could be doing better. And yeah, we'll have a look at it. Let's go. So option one, or what I'm going to call army one, if we imagine the emotional well-being space as a bit of a battlefield, which it is at the moment in Australia, as I was saying before, everyone's battling each other, trying to do their own thing rather than working together. So let's say there's these two armies lined up facing each other. And on one side, we have coaching. Now, what exactly is coaching? Because in Australia, it's actually a very misrepresented, misunderstood, and very new uh, field and practice. You know, in America, it's quite huge. It started as executive coaching and working really for companies to improve their performance and results. And then people started to go, well, hang on, these companies are getting great results. Obviously, sports teams have coaches. And there's a great quote that I once read that said, when we care as much about our results in our healthcare system, in our schools, and in our own lives, we will start putting coaches there as well. And it's something I'm a huge believer in. You know, obviously, on one side, when we look at coaching, the strengths of coaching are that it is very, very, uh, I'm going to say, innovative and forward thinking. You know, the coaching industry as a whole is always looking for, well, what's the next best way to help people, the next best way to serve people, to make this uh, whole idea of emotional well-being enjoyable and fun and something that people want to do. You know, coaching is very much around the idea that people aren't broken. They don't need to be fixed. Uh, it's more just teaching them and empowering them with the skills and knowledge and strategies to take control of their own emotional well-being themselves. So on that side, I'm a massive advocate for the coaching industry. And I've seen amazing coaches achieve amazing results. Um, you know, some of which are our coaches within BU themselves. The results we continue to achieve with helping people blow my mind. My problem with the coaching industry and with a lot of the perception of the coaching industry, especially in Australia, is it's an unregulated industry. 
So that means anyone can just wake up tomorrow and say that they're a coach. And obviously, this comes with a whole range of problems. First problem is we're getting a lot of people joining the industry who their hearts are in the right place, but they don't have the education, the training and qualifications to do this well. And this is a serious topic. You know, we're dealing with people's emotional well-being and with their mindsets. This is something that deserves respect and deserves qualifications. And I think there's too many people coming in with their heart in the right place of going, I want to help people. I'm just going to become a life coach. I'm just going to say I'm a life coach tomorrow. I refer to them as Insta coaches or Instagram coaches. You know, they're the people who jump on and put up all the bullshit like, oh, positive vibes only, just think positive thoughts and all this other rubbish, which is very wishy-washy, unfounded on um, science and on studies and isn't actually that helpful for people. I mean, if you've ever heard me talk about positive thinking as a movement, you'd know that I think it's an absolute load of crap because it encourages people to repress their emotions. Uh, Difficult emotions are just a part of life and part of being human and trying to have positive vibes only or only think positive is actually detrimental to people's well-being. So what's happening is we're getting this influx of people who have their hearts in the right place, but no training, no qualifications, and they're causing more harm than good. We also have a massive influx of people joining the industry for the wrong reasons. Obviously, when the barrier to entry is non-existent, like anyone can wake up tomorrow and say they're a coach, people are jumping into this um, going, okay, well, this is going to be my get-rich-quick scheme or my how I'm going to make money really easily because the fact of the matter is coaching is a very premium level um, service. There's a lot of coaches out there charging big, big bucks to work with them. Uh, It's currently one of the fastest growing industries in Australia is professional coaching and one-on-one coaching. And whilst I think that's great because it's bringing a new player to the table and offering people a new service and a new option, the downside of it is that you know, we're getting the wrong people in the in those positions in the fields. And whilst cream does rise to the top and the best coaches will be the ones that last to make a difference, it's giving the industry a bad name overall. It's giving the public the wrong perception of coaching. So really what I'd love to see to sort of tidy up the coaching side of the emotional well-being industry in Australia is regulation. Put something in that says you have to have a qualification in a recognized field. Now it be you, we have qualifications in uh, and have done previous study in acceptance and commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, neurolinguistic programming, positive psychology, right? Just choose the fields that we go, okay, this works. It's beneficial for people. Go to a qualification, then you can call yourself a coach. That would make such a world of difference because it would filter out the people who are just doing it as a get rich quick scheme. It would make sure only the people who really want this and their hearts are in the right place get into the industry, but then it will also empower those people with the skills and tools and strategies and the qualifications and knowledge background to actually make a lasting difference and impact on people's lives. So that's one side of the one side of the coin. I said the strengths are very forward thinking, um, really making emotional well-being fun and enjoyable and um, it's almost made it trendy, which is quite a good thing. Like people should be thinking about their emotional well-being and but the downside of it is it's it's not regulated. The wrong people are coming in. So that's where we're looking with the coaching industry. Let's flick over now to the other army on the battlefield and look at traditional psychology. Turning our attention now to the other player on the battlefield in the emotional well-being space in Australia, we're going to look at traditional psychology. Now, We're also going to be looking at traditional psychiatry in the pharmaceutical industry, but that's going to be in the next segment because that needs a segment all on its own. When it comes to traditional psychology, 
the biggest issue that people start to notice, and one of the forefathers uh, of positive psychology, in fact, some say the founder of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman, was a great man for this in that he became quite successful in the psychology industry in America. And he looked back and went, we are spending most of our time, money, energy, resources, and efforts conducting studies into what's wrong with people. We are barely scratching the surface on what's right with people. And I think he describes it really well when he shares the story of he was sitting in his garden watching, I think it was his granddaughter from memory, uh, dig through the garden and, and you know play with the flowers, play with the weeds, throw them over her shoulder. And he came to realize where psychology was going wrong. You know, for the last 100, 200 years, psychology was exclusively focused on what was wrong with people and how we can fix them. It assumed that people were broken and they needed to be fixed to get back to normal. And he realized that if all we're ever doing is trying to help people get back to normal, people never go past normal. You know, it's going from negative five to zero and then going, right, you're done, go live out your life. And I know so, so many people who've come from trying traditional psychology and traditional counseling and gone, it worked well at getting me back to feeling average, but then there was nothing from there. And they sort of walked out going, well, where do I go from here? Like, what do I do next? And I'm a massive believer that life isn't meant to be lived at average. It's not meant to be lived at normal. It's not meant to be lived at okay or just good enough or getting by. Life is there to be lived for you to live a life of thriving. But traditional psychology and counseling aren't giving people the tools and the strategies to do that. And that is a huge problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some huge strengths to psychology traditionally. Obviously, a very, very well-researched field, very qualified practitioners, massive evidence base. I'm a massive advocate for them and they do serve a great purpose. I think there is a massive need for counseling and traditional psychology uh, in, in the emotional well-being space in Australia, especially in the reactive space. So when someone hasn't looked after their emotional well-being and they're really, really, really struggling emotionally, I think counseling and traditional psychology are a good fit to help them get back towards that middle ground. But that's where they're stopping. And this is the problem. This is a huge problem with the emotional well-being industry in Australia that I think is being driven by traditional counseling and psychology. And the problem is that we're being way too reactive with people's emotional well-being. You know, it would be the equivalent of waiting until you've had a heart attack to start exercising. And that's what's happening socially in Australia is people aren't doing anything with their emotional well-being till they're really, really, really struggling. And, you know, whilst they're doing great things, psychology and counseling and all that are doing great things at that space, my question is, why are we waiting until people get to that space? Why aren't we acting more proactively, empowering people with the right tools and skills and strategies to start looking after their emotional well-being before they get to that level and then also to go past zero, past normal? So that's why, you know, positive psychology is a field I'm so passionate about. It's, again, founded by um, Dr. Martin Seligman. You know, it's one of the best courses I've ever studied and I'm still currently studying my postgraduate diploma in positive psychology because I think the way they're thinking about psychology in terms of focusing on what's right with people, focusing on strengths-based coaching and training, focusing on taking people not from negative five to zero, but from negative five up to 20 is really, really empowering. And the best part is they've got the evidence to prove it. Positive psychology is now one of the most researched fields 
scientifically. In psychology, its, its methods have been rolled out by the entire US military, the entire country of Bhutan, the city of Adelaide, and they're showing amazing, amazing results. So what I believe would make a huge change uh, for the better in traditional psychology and counseling is to recognize when they're the right fit and when they're not. As I said, I'm a huge believer in what they do. I just think it's overspread and they're way too reactive. You know, it's too much talk, not enough follow through. And it's not helping people until, I'm not going to say it's too late, but until they're really, really hurting, right? And we should be being a lot more proactive with it. So what's going to make the difference there is integrating more proactive, strengths-focused, positive measures to help people with their emotional well-being, which, as I said before, is a strength of the coaching industry that they're very forward-thinking, very progressive, very strengths-focused, very proactive. So what we're starting to see is the weaknesses of the coaching industry in that it's unregulated and unqualified is the greatest strength of the traditional psychology and counseling industry. And the greatest weakness of the traditional psychology and counseling industry in that it's not forward-thinking, it's not progressive, it's not strengths-focused, are the greatest strengths of the coaching industry, which is why we got thinking, well, hang on, obviously the best fit is to start integrating the two and working a lot more holistically. And I'm going to talk about that towards the end of this episode, but now what we're going to do is spend some time digging into psychiatry and taking a bit of a stab at us and what's going wrong there. And I'm going to actually draw a lot from Dr. Alan Francis's amazing, amazing book, Saving Normal, um, which is an incredible book that he wrote about, in his words, an insider's revolt against the out-of-control psychiatric diagnosis, DSM-5, big pharma, and the medicalization of ordinary life. He's a huge believer that there's big pharmaceutical companies making a lot of money that are convincing people there's something wrong with them that needs to be fixed with a pill when there is in fact nothing wrong with them at all. Or if there is, it's not biological. It's not based on a neurochemical imbalance. It's more often based on situations or their perception and response to situations. And therefore, a different approach would be a lot more beneficial for them. So let's dig into that and have a discussion before I put forward my suggestions and my theories of what's going to make the emotional well-being industry in Australia a hell of a lot better for a lot more people. Okay, here we go. This is the big one. This is probably the most controversial one uh, segment in this section. This is the bit you've all been waiting for. Now, I want to preface this by saying that, as I said at the start, I am not inherently in and of itself 100% against pharmaceuticals. I do believe that they serve a great role in the emotional well-being industry. I believe that they help when they are applied to the right people in the right situations. My stance against pharmaceuticals is that they have overspread their field of practice. They've uh, over-medicalized normal human behavior. Over-diagnosis and over-prescription is now becoming a huge, huge problem not only in America, which is where a lot of this research is coming out of, but in Australia as well. And something needs to be done about it. And someone needs to stand up and challenge the status quo and go, yes, this may be the most socially accepted and aware approach to emotional well-being, but it is not the right one. It is not working. It is not going to help people in the long run. In the words of uh, James Davies in his great book, Cracked, How Psychiatry is Doing More Harm Than Good, He says, you know, my hope is one day we look back on pharmaceuticals and the rate that we were prescribing them to people 
And we look back on it medically in the same way we now look back on practices like bloodletting and realize that it was a terrible, terrible idea. So let's talk about big pharmaceutical and what's going wrong there. As I said, the problem with it is that it's overspreading and overdiagnosing and convincing people that every single little nuance of their life and of their emotional state is a problem that needs to be fixed. And this is the stance that Dr. Alan Francis takes in his amazing book, Saving Normal. Now, as I mentioned, he was a psychiatrist who was on the board who wrote DSM-4. And for those listening who don't know what that is, the DSM is the guidebook on how to diagnose medical illness, uh, sorry, mental illness. And what he realized to be written in such a way that led to more overprescription, more overdiagnosis, more overmedicalization of normal human experience. And so he left and he wrote an insider's revolt against it. It's a fascinating book. You know, he starts talking about how some of the biggest problems are that people are, that we're seeing trends in mental illness where it's like publicity, it's almost PR for the pharmaceutical companies. You know, there was a massive trend and influx of uh, autism and ADHD in the 90s. We're now seeing a massive trend and influx of anxiety and depression. We're, we shouldn't see trends in mental illness. And he talks a lot about why that happens. And there's a few reasons, uh, some of which aren't relevant to Australia, but quite a few of which are. So he talks about how pharmaceutical companies run like a very successful business. And their goal is basically get as many people on their product as possible, as early as possible, so that they stay on for life. And so they've, they've done a lot of research. There's a lot of uh, drug company funded research. There's a lot of burying of inconclusive trials. The biggest problem, though, that he talks about, which I believe in as well, and I would agree with, is buying out of you know, medical professionals. So giving expensive holidays or dinners or benefits to doctors and medical professionals who come on board with them, giving out free trials of their products, doing marketing to promote a disease. So this is called disease mongering. It's fascinating. It's where a drug company doesn't actually have a product until there is a disease or mental health disease that needs to be fixed. So it starts promoting the disease first to get a massive captive audience that then self-diagnoses and goes, oh, I must have anxiety or I must have depression. They go in and ask their doctor, hey, I think I have anxiety or depression. Can I get something for it? And then the drug company goes, awesome, captive market. There's our product, let's sell it. And obviously there's a lot wrong with that. Now, in terms of how we can start turning this around, I'm a massive believer in two things in Dr. Alan Francis's book. One is his approach on how we start taming the big pharmaceutical companies and helping people because at the end of the day, we are fighting the wrong war on drugs. More people these days die from prescription medication than from all other illicit drugs combined. So we're spending so much money fighting illicit drug usage in a battle that we're never going to win, we've been fighting that war for decades and we're not going to win, but we can win the battle against prescription medication and prescription drugs by just putting in some good regulations, just by putting in some rules and regulations to stop diagnostic spread and diagnostic inflation and the over-medicalization of normal human experience. So, you know, Alan Francis, Dr. Alan Francis goes through 14 ways that he recommends for taming big pharmaceutical. And as I said, some of these are relevant um, only in the US, but I'll, I'll share them all with you anyway. So he recommends no more direct-to-consumer advertising in t- on TV, in magazines, or on the internet. 
Now, obviously, we've already got that as a regulation in Australia, and thank God we do. In the US, drug companies are allowed to market their products directly to the consumer, which is disgusting and terrifying. Uh, No more drug company-sponsored dinners, promotional gifts, or continuing medical education for doctors or medical students. So There shouldn't be scholarships that are paid for by pharmaceutical companies because obviously that's going to create financial bias. No more financial support for medical professional organizations. No more salespeople congregating in the doctor's waiting room selling doctors on the idea of the medication, no more free samples, no more off-label marketing, no more co-opting of thought leaders. That's where they bring a psychiatrist or leading psychologist on board with their company to do press tours and speaking tours. Uh, No more drug company funding for regulatory boards, bigger fines and criminal penalties when companies step out of line, Uh, no more financial aid for consumer advocacy groups. And this is the big one, no more disease awareness campaigns. So no more spreading word about like, go ask your doctor if you think you have anxiety or depression or these sort of, you know, emotional struggles and mental illnesses, because it's creating overdiagnosis from self-diagnosis. And that's a tough one to battle. And he's a big believer as well in not having our GPs and our first point of call doing the majority of of diagnosing a mental illness, but also um, prescribing medication for it. So the other thing that he's a big believer in that I think is brilliant and it blows my mind that we don't do this already is changing the medical industry so doctors have more time and resources and capacity to take the time with their patients because what's happening now is people are getting a very quick diagnosis because doctors are under pressure, they're, they're rushed and you know these patients are flustered, they just want a result. So What Dr. Alan Francis recommends is a stepped diagnosis approach where there is no diagnosis given whatsoever or pharmaceutical treatment given for a minimum of six sessions or six steps. And in order, he recommends the first session is just to gather baseline data, get to know the person, find out what's happening, find out if their depression or anxiety or emotional overwhelm or how they're feeling is based on something that's happening in their life. Because rather than just going, well, there's something wrong with you neurochemically, well, hang on, what's going on with their health? Are they drinking enough water each day? Are they eating? Are they exercising? What's happening in their family? Has there been a recent passing or is there family strain there? What's happening money-wise? Is this financial strain? Have this more holistic look at someone's life rather than being what, you know, what I would describe as shoot first and aim later. The second time is normalize the problem. So take them seriously, but reformulate them positively as expectable responses to inevitable stresses of life. And that's a great approach from acceptance and commitment therapy where it's like, okay, look, feeling anxiety, feeling depression, feeling stress and overwhelm is a normal human feelings. And they're going to come up from time to time, especially if there's something else that was noticed in session one that could be contributing to it. Step three is then watchful waiting. So continued assessment with no pretense of a definitive diagnosis or active treatment. So keep checking in with them, finding out what's going on and see if just the passing of time helps alleviate the symptoms. You know, sometimes time is the best approach. Four is minimal interventions, but interventions that are useful here are things like education, books, uh, self-help therapy, you know, seeing other practitioners, taking this more holistic and collaborative approach to well-being. At step five, there is brief counseling. So this is where we can start bringing in um, psychotherapists, coaches, counselors, you know, other resources to help this person proactively and help make it more actionable and you know, develop tools and strategies they can implement day to day. 
And then step six, if there's been no improvement by this point or very little improvement by this point, then go down the line of a definitive diagnosis and treatment plan. I'm a huge believer in that approach. I think that is the best way to help people and it really needs to be done more often. Um, So as I said, there's a lot of things going wrong in uh, pharmaceuticals and psychiatry. I do believe in the industries. I do believe in their approaches for the right person at the right time. And this is what I hope you're gaining from this podcast is the stance that there is no right or wrong answer. It is about finding the right fit for the right person at the right time in their life where it can all work well together. It's about creating a tailored approach to them as a unique individual. So with that said, let's look at what I believe is the future of emotional well-being in Australia and what it can look like when it's done correctly. So we've spent a lot of time on this episode talking about what's going wrong with the emotional well-being industry in Australia and I don't want to fall into the category of what we're talking about being the biggest weakness of traditional psychology which is only focusing on what's wrong with things. At some point, we need to look at what's going well, but also where the future can lead us. And as we've already looked at in the previous segments of this episode, what the strengths of each industry are and where they fit well, I think you can already start to guess where I believe the future of the emotional well-being industry lies in Australia. What I would love to see is an approach to people's emotional well-being that covers a few things. One is it needs to be proactive. No more waiting until people are really, really, really struggling before we step in and give them the tools and strategies required to live a life of confidence, purpose, and thriving and to increase their overall emotional well-being. Two is it has to be practical. There is too much talk of concepts in this industry. And concepts are great. Don't get me wrong. It's very useful for people to wrap their head around concepts. But if they leave a session and then go home thinking, well, what the fuck do I do with that? We're not actually helping people. We need to create things that are practical so people go, okay, yes, I get the concept. Yes, I understand. Here's what I can go do with it to get results. And I know that's one of the biggest points of feedback we get from our members at BU Coaching is they love how actionable it is. You know, they get the talk, they get the concepts, but then they also get strategic homework that's tailored to them for them to go, okay, cool, this is what I can do with what I've learned from my session today. And that's why they get results. We've seen people get results. They worked with counselors and traditional psychologists for over three years and didn't feel like they got anything. And they work with us for six months and graduate and feel like they've done everything they wanted to plus more and they're living a life of thriving. It's really beautiful to see. And the third thing that I believe has to happen in the emotional well-being space is to be fun. One of the biggest things plaguing this industry at the moment is it's perceived as boring. No one wants to go lie on a couch, look at ink plots and tell you about their feelings. But the reason physical fitness as an industry is starting to pick up steam and become trendy is because people bought in things like F45 and Zumba. Now, they made it fun. They made it something that people want to do in their day-to-day life. And I believe when we bring a sense of playfulness, humor, joy, passion, and, and just fun to work on our emotional well-being, people will do it more often, which means they will get better results, which means their emotional well-being will improve and stay above average over the course of their life. So it has to be proactive. It has to be practical. It has to be fun. And the final thing that I believe has to happen is there has to be an integrative, holistic, and tailored approach to well-being that calls upon multiple industries and backgrounds. 
You know, quite a few of our members are still on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, but they're doing that in collaboration with what they're learning from our coaching program and they're getting amazing results and I think that's incredible. Other members have gotten off the pharmaceuticals and are doing some form of counseling while still doing our coaching program and getting amazing results. That's awesome. Some people do our coaching program and combine it with physical well-being. So they're going and exercising, they're working with a nutritionist or a dietitian. And a big part of our program is identifying that, okay, this is these are the areas that need some love and attention. We are an expert on this. This is all we're going to help you with. We're an expert on emotional well-being and intelligence. We're an expert on confidence and purpose and living a thriving life. We are not experts on food. We are not experts on exercise. We are not you know, experts on these other things that are very, very beneficial, but we know people who are. So a big part of our program is helping people get that clarity to go, okay, this is who I'm having on my team. Because at the end of the day, the people who thrive in life are surrounded by a support network and a team. They have a team of people that work with them. It's not just one person. Um, so, you know, with that said, what I would love to see in future is the coaching industry, traditional psychology industry, psychiatry in the pharmaceutical industry, mindfulness, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, you know, all these different practices coming together recognizing that we're all fighting for the same thing just with different approaches and then putting in some regulations so none of those industries overspread um, making sure they're all high quality and making sure as i said before that with every single individual who wants to work on their emotional well-being every single individual has the ability is educated and empowered to make the right choice for them so that they end up with the right approach for the right person at the right time And when we do that, that's when we'll start to see incredible, incredible results in the emotional well-being industry as a whole. And it's something I'm very, very, very proud to be on the forefront of and to be driving forward with BU Coaching and with all of our team and coaches here. So if you've listened to this podcast and you've gone, yep, I agree 100% with what he's saying. I get it. I think that is the future. That is the way forward. Or if you're someone who's sitting there thinking, you know what? I've been looking for something to do with my emotional well-being. Something's just felt off. I'm not sure what. And you want to find out what that is with absolute certainty and go, okay, this is the move that's going to fit. Reach out and email our team at grow at bucoaching.org. They'll be able to give you a call and have a chat through just a complimentary consultation to get to know you first, to get to know your situation in life and to go, hey, are we the right fit to help you proactively practically and in a way that's fun with your emotional well-being or do we know someone else who's a better fit or a different industry that's a better fit and at least that way you've got answers you've got a path forward you're no longer sitting there feeling overwhelmed and stressed and stuck going i'm in a rut but i have no idea how to get out so again email our team at grow at bucoaching.org just mention this podcast and organize a complimentary consultation call and they'll be able to give you a call get to know you get to know your life and make sure that you're getting the right fit for you at the right time in your life to help you really look after your emotional well-being in a way that is proactive, practical, and fun. And with that said, I'll be seeing you guys next week on the next episode of Be You with Declan Edwards. We've got a great guest coming in again. And as always, from the bottom of my heart all the way out to yours, for everyone listening, be empowered, be exceptional, and be you. (laughs) 